Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. I also want to ask, you know, the demographics of the kids that you deal with are, you know, is it higher in one socioeconomic area? Is it higher in, you know, a part of the town that may be, you know, higher white population, higher black population, or is it spread evenly across all of them? So when I was working in Fairfax, because I'm no longer in Fairfax, I'm in the district now, but when I was there, I was there for three and a half years, and I had two regions. The, the county is absolutely ginormous, and so in my behavior division where I worked, there was only 17 of us, which meant that we each supported 12 to 14 schools a year. So I was supporting a lot of schools, a lot of families, a lot of administrators and teachers and students. And the regions that I had, predominantly uh, the cases I were on, were children who were of African-American descent and of Hispanic, Spanish descent, uh, Latinx. Um, I did have a few whiter Caucasian families, which I did have military families. I had Fort Belvoir, and I will say that Fort Belvoir is a complete completely different beast and majority of the students there were white and so I, I actually did have a pretty diverse population but if you exclude military then it was mainly Latinx and black. Did your counterparts have other demographics or did you see that they also had the same dynamics or was it just kind of like because you were in that area of the city that's who you got and then they were in you know like a, a white neighborhood so that's the people that they got or did it really just center around those the minority races no it definitely was based on where you live in the county i mean i had right out of washington dc so like i said I, I think it's based on region i don't think it was just based on case i mean i'll say mclean out by mclean it was mainly white wealthy families, but they still had a lot of needs. And, and I think people have this misconception that because you're white and wealthy, you don't have problems. You have a lot of problems. You really do. And a lot of it is here psychologically. And then it does come out into different behaviors. And so I would say my cases were different from my colleagues based on the regions we had. But when you look at the patterns of behavior and you don't look at race or ethnicity, it was the same because behavior is the function and the basis for everyone. And everyone at the end of the day kind of functions the same. I hate to say it, but it's true. Like everyone just has different, you know, quirks about them. But at the end of the day, a lot of behavior is driven by the same thing. Definitely. And that's kind of what I wanted to point to is that domestic violence doesn't really have like, oh, I'm going to go affect the black community or I'm only going to affect the Hispanic community. It affects all communities, all races, all socioeconomic areas, ages, everything. And um, I think it 
points, you know, it really solidifies that when you say like, it was only based on the region that you were in, whereas your colleagues had the other demographics and, and because they were in those regions of the city. And, and I, that, that was the main point that I wanted to make was that it does not matter who you are. It can affect your life just as easy as it can someone else's. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> so you're working in the school district. How did you start building capacity behavior intervention? Well, we're one year. We're going on our one and a half year birthday. So woohoo, we made it a year and a half. My husband and I used to work in Washington, D.C. back in 2015. We were actually founding staff members at a public charter school where the students were mainly from foster care or had had some contact with the foster care system. So they really came from trauma-filled backgrounds. And my husband and I really were intrigued for many reasons to go and work with this population. Um, and so we founded the school with a team and we only made it three months because the team was not, the leadership team was not prepared to open a school with such high volume needs. They thought they were, it was good on paper, but in reality, it was absolutely no good. And so we left and we always wanted to come back to the city after that, we absolutely loved it. So we decided to make the move. We were only 25 minutes south down 95. So we said, let's make the jump to the city, which it is really two different worlds, even 25 minutes apart. And my husband had a job here in the schools and he was commuting an hour each way. So I said, let's cut your commute. Let's get back to the city. Let's do it. And we're going to go all in. And so I said to my boss in Fairfax, you know, I, I kind of just want to be in the city. I really want to put my work and my mission and my vision into the city because they need it. They need it so bad. And plus, I need a new challenge. I enjoy challenges for some reason. And, and we did, we made it. We, we made the switch. And so I now help schools and really the district, the entire city, look at social emotional supports for teachers and students because not only do, do students have trauma, but teachers have a lot of trauma themselves. So that's what I'm doing now. Awesome. Have you found that it's easier to work as a consultant slash contractor with the school versus working in the school? Do you have different restraints or did you have different restraints doing that? Or is it kind of same, same? I enjoy the position I'm in now more because I'm my own boss and I can play the game how I want to play the game, which is less politics. I hate the politics. And so I feel like I can come in a lot more authentic because when you work for the system, you have to kind of conform and mold and you have to do really what they say and what they want because you're an employee of that system, right? But because I am my own employee, my own boss, I come in from like a side angle. Um, and I think that I'm respected in a different light, not better, not less, just different. Um, and so I really appreciate the lens and the support I come from now, because at the end of the day, they can take me or they can leave me. And that's it. That's fine. And I'm okay with that. I have no ties where I feel I have to do and say as others want, but I can truly make the change from a different lens. 
Definitely. Um, was there ever a point or a story? And I mean, if you don't have one, that is fantastic. That means that we're doing our jobs and that the school district's doing really well. But was there a point where you had a child and you knew something was wrong, but because of either a politics or policies and procedures, you couldn't help them? Every case and child that I've ever come across, I have always voiced if something really felt different for me. I did it in a very respectful and kind way. I may not have seen it all the way through because higher ups have said no, but um, I look at the marks on the body of the child uh, and some marks are just different. You know what I'm saying? Like you just know that that's not a scratch. That is not something that you did on the playground that comes from somewhere else. And so, um, I have always pursued the conversations with the school teams and with the administrators. And I have let others in the school that have a better relationship with the family say, hey, where are these marks coming from? And so I've kind of been the jump starter for that, like the catalyst, but I've never been the one to sit at the table and pursue that conversation, mainly because we leave it to the people that have a better relationship so that the family doesn't feel like I'm imposing, you know, in a place where it's not, it's not mine, but I've never just let it go. That's awesome. I think, you know, we definitely need more people like that. Um, and it's funny you say that because our goddaughter lives with us. She's four. She's the most uncoordinated four-year-old I've ever seen in my life. And she goes to school with like so many bruises on her body. And I'm like, we're going to have CPS called on us. They're going to show up at our door one day and they're going to be like, where is this child getting all these bruises from? <laughs> and, but it's funny because, I mean, if they did, I would not be offended. Like, okay, yeah, you should, it's your job, right? That's funny. I mean, funny, not funny in a sense, right? Because we have kids too, they're three and six. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but at the end of the day, you still know the difference you know, between some lashing scars that should not be there and just your typical, you're a young kid that falls a lot. Definitely. Yeah. It's it like, it's just, it's so funny. She'll have like, her whole face will be covered in bruises just because she falls so often and runs into the edges of tables and it's, it's a four-year-old, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny to talk about that. But um, going back to that, for parents or, or teachers or, you know, just adults that are in contact with these kids on a daily basis, what are, you know, what are some signs that they should look for? It may not even be behavioral, but just, you know, overall signs that like, okay, I need to bring attention to this, to somebody who is an expert in this field. I would say... You, as a caregiver, as a teacher, you know, you have a lot of responsibility, right? And whether you know it or not, subconsciously, you know the patterns of the children you take care of. So from a teacher's perspective, although you may see many students, you know, middle school and high school, you see many students in a day or a week, whereas elementary school, you pretty much have the same class over and over again, right? but you still know your students in some way. You may not know everything about them, but you still on the surface see their patterns. So I would say if anything changes dramatically, that is a natural standout, right? So if a student every day would walk in and say hello to you with their head up, 
um, or laughs and giggles with their friends. And then one day is like hood, hood over their head, not talking to anyone, just the opposite extreme behavior. Right. Um, I would say eye contact, but not too like most kids don't want to give you eye contact. It's a very intimate thing. It really is. And I don't ask the students that I come in contact with to give me eye contact unless I notice that they are deliberately avoiding my eyes, which in that case, in that case, I would say, yeah, perhaps, you know, cause most abusers want that eye contact in some regard, you know? And so if you have come across that, you don't want to look at anybody. You shy away. You don't want to show what you have under your clothes. You don't want your scars or you know, anything, right? So I would say if that eye contact is so avoidant and so deliberate, that could always be a sign or something. Um, honestly, if I look back at myself, you would never have known that I was ever in anything because I tried so hard to make it seem like I came from this perfect family. So I... I wouldn't even have seen it myself on myself, you know, and I actually didn't even recognize this and know that I was a child of trauma until I became a professional. I was getting certified on recognizing trauma in others. And that's when I recognized, holy shit, I was a child of trauma because my stepdad also was an alcoholic. So he was an abusive alcoholic. Um, so I would just say for any behavior pattern, it depends on the child and their particular patterns. If something stands out different, then you know something is different. It's interesting um, to hear that perspective of it too, of you know, a kid that acts perfect could be the one that is you know, in that situation. And it's so hard to find that, to, to know that this is going on. Um, Looking back, were there any signals that you gave off that you were like, I did that because I was, you know, hurting at home? Or were you just that on top of your game that you were like, nope, that's never coming out? The only people that, honestly, I didn't even tell, and now I, now I understand why my mom didn't tell other people, in a sense, because you feel almost unworthy, like, you just feel weird and different, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's such a hurtful thing to let out that you just keep burying it and burying it and burying it. And I thought I could bury it enough that it didn't exist in a sense, right? So I really didn't tell a lot of people, honestly. I wanna say I started telling people when I got married, like my husband was one of the first people, maybe because I felt so comfortable with him, maybe because I had taken time to process and reflect. Um, and now I'm very open with it. I'm, I'm comfortable. It's my comfort level, right? Um, but I would say, no, I really didn't. I really didn't let it out. I didn't. A lot of people knew I didn't live in a right, in the perfect, you know, family, mainly because I never addressed him. So I guess that was one key element. I never said dad. I never said stepdad. I never called him anything but him. It was him. It was like him. And sometimes I wouldn't even address, I wouldn't even give him a proper respectful name. So my friends were like, oh, your stepdad is watching your field hockey game. And I was like, oh, him? Cool. Like, I didn't even want him around. I wanted him nowhere in sight. I would rather have said my mom was a single mom 
than my mom being married to my stepdad. Which is interesting because unfortunately that can be brushed off as, oh, you're a teenager that's upset that your mom remarried, not the fact that there was something going on in the home. So that is, you know, also something that can be really difficult to have that distinction between of, okay, is she just a moody teenager or is there actually something going on in the home? Absolutely. I mean, the teenage years are so difficult to know. And I mean, the teenagers don't even know what's going on, right, fully. And honestly, if somebody had asked me, if like a guidance counselor sat down and asked me, I probably would have lied off the bat. You know, I was good at lying. I was good at manipulating. um, And I was used to it. So I would have had to have been in a very comfortable place with a very comfortable person that I trusted in order to let it out, to be honest. And I didn't even know everything that was going on in my home because my mom hid it a lot. And then finally I was like, something's not right, mom. Like, why do you have a black guy? Like you went to bed last night with no black guy. And now all of a sudden you have a black guy. That's weird. What happened? Um, or, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't really see my mom even cry that much. She was such a strong woman that just took it all. And finally, when she let it out, I was like, Oh, like there are really things going on, um, behind the scenes that nobody knows. Definitely. So unfortunately we are, um, getting close to our time together, but is there anything that we did not cover or that you want to reiterate to the audience about child behavior? There's always a pattern always. So when I talk to school teams, I talk to teachers, I talk to people, even the child, you know, if you are someone who may think that a child is in a domestic violence home, you have to make them so comfortable. You know, you can't just come out and and just say it in a sense because they won't really know what to do. So I would say if you can make them comfortable, if you can really look at the patterns and find what it is that is is different and, and talk to them through, you know, do play therapy. Play therapy is a great way to build a relationship with a child, to build the trust, and to see what comes out. I have seen a lot of things come out in play therapy indirectly. You know, a child started calling me mom with a dinosaur. And I was like, you must have attachment disorder. In this. I mean, this was over a while, right? I, you just don't diagnose somebody and stuff. But come to find out, yeah, behind the scenes, there was a lot of dynamics in the family that just shouldn't have been there. And then if you are the person being abused, like if you're an adult and you're trying to protect your kids, you know, it's not as if they're going to live in the dark a hundred percent. Like they know kids have an intuition that you're never going to be able to hide from them. And it's better to be honest in a sense, you know, as much as you think the child can handle, like don't come out and just spill it all. Right. I think it depends on the child. Like what I would say to my daughter And what I would say to my son, not in a domestic way, but I'm just saying as a whole, they're on two different levels, right? And so my honesty level with my daughter and my son are different. And that goes for other children. And then if you are the one being abused, I would say, again, find the pattern. There is a pattern that they are going through. There's a trigger that triggers them. And then there's a pattern for them repeatedly doing it. It's a cycle. They just live in a cycle. I think that is awesome advice. And I think that, you know, it, it's always something that even if you're, if you're in the situation or looking outside the situation, it, it works both ways of just look for something that's out of the ordinary that shouldn't be there. 
So wrapping up, we have questions that we ask every guest that come on the show. So the first one is, what are your goals for the next uh, year? Personally or professionally or both? <laughs> both. <laughs> okay. Personally, I would say to keep keep growing. I've been on a growth journey for a while now. Um, and by growth, I mean like really taking the time to reflect and to heal. Like I heal every day. I mean this conversation is a part of me healing, right? Because I just don't come out and talk about my childhood all the time. And I don't always combine my childhood with my profession unless I'm actually in a professional development around childhood trauma or something of that nature, right? So be kind, be kind. I'm, I'm trying to still be kind. I have a lot of high goals, but I know that those goals can't come tomorrow. I have to work in steps, like stepping stones, right? professionally to win this big contract or to be awarded this big contract for the city this year, hopefully in the next month or two, to actually do staff wellness for the district. I really believe that staff wellness or just wellness as a whole is an individual journey, you know, and what works for me may not work for everyone else, but if we can give the tools and the resources for the staff to start healing themselves to become aware of their own childhood or their own adulthood, I think that's a step in the right direction. Definitely. That would be amazing. We are definitely rooting for you here to get that. I think that it's, again, like you said, if you're not fully healed, you know, you can't be expected to teach to your fullest extent, you know, the kids that are also possibly going through the same traumas. So the next one is, what would the new you say to the old you? That's a great question. (laughs) Keep going and really take time for your emotions. Because when I was younger, I didn't take time for my emotions. I just kept burying them and I would avoid them. And I thought that would make me tougher. But what I've learned in the new me is that understanding my emotions actually makes me tougher. If that makes sense. Definitely. I think that a lot of us go through life thinking, if I don't feel, that makes me tough. But actually understanding so that you can control your emotions is what makes you stronger. So it definitely definitely makes sense. The next question is, what is something that you can recommend to our listeners to help them through a tough time? Time keeps moving. It will always keep going and you will never be stuck in the same place. So if you're going through a tough day or two days or a week or a few months, even five minutes, that time's going to roll and you eventually will come out of that situation. But you have to take steps to get out of that. So time is on your side. Time is always going to keep moving. That's a natural, consistent factor. But the second factor is yourself you can't just rely on time. You have to rely on your actions and your steps. That's awesome. And then finally, what is um, a book, podcast, ebook quote or something that kind of helps you get through tough times or that you live by and could recommend to our listeners? I'm going to quote my mom (laughs) from decades and years ago, just because when I reflect and think about her, she always was a strong independent woman and she always taught that for us but the thing she always said was do what makes you happy 
I know it's simple. I know it's complex at the same time, but if you think about truly what makes you happy and continuously do it, then you're going to find your happiness. That's awesome. And finally, where can people um, reach you or learn more about you if they would like to? We have a website. It's www.buildingcapacity.net. Building capacity is one word. And then my email is alex, A-L-E-X, at buildingcapacity.net. We also have an Instagram. I will say I'm slowly moving away from Instagram. I will say that um, just to become more present because I feel like social media often takes a lot of your time. But our Instagram handle is building underscore capacity. Awesome. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You've brought a lot of great insight and wisdom, and I'm really excited that we had this conversation. Same. I really appreciate the time and the space to continue my healing and to share. So thank you. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.